that's great. That's wonderful. Every pastor needs needs a backup. So every missionary needs a backup. Amen. Hey, thank you for that good good music. And you guys know how blessed you are here. You know how blessed you are here to have the great music that you do. And and when I and I say this every time I come because it's an odd it's an odd experience that I that I have. An odd, it's an odd relationship that I have to First Baptist. When I dream about churches, every pastor, every missionary, every evangelist dreams about not being able to find your sermon notes or getting up in the pulpit and you don't have your, uh, your pants on. There are all these kinds of dreams that we have, you know, that sort of thing. And when, and when I dream, have those dreams, you know where I'm at? I'm right here. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. And sometimes you guys are in the dream. That's what you don't know. You guys are in the dream. And, uh, but it's just special being back. <laughs> I know, I know. They do have medication. And I need it terribly, terribly, terribly. And so, uh, so we're going we're gonna to continue in the book of Jeremiah. I'm in Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28. I heard the story as you're turning to Jeremiah chapter 28 of <laughs> All I have are moldy oldies. That's, that's the only jokes I have. I need some new material, but I haven't been able to find any. But, uh, you know, the story is told about the man who was driving down the highway, and there was a pig on the side of the highway, and the man stopped and uh, scooped the pig up, put the pig in his car, and began to drive down the highway, and it was causing such a, there was this pig sitting in the front seat of the man's car, it caused such a such a confusion because the cars were slowing down to look and they were honking the horn because here was this man with a pig sitting in the front seat. A highway patrolman saw it, pulled the man over, came up and said, what, what are you doing, sir? He said, well, I, I found this pig on the side of the road. And uh, he said, look, take that pig to the zoo. The man said, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'll do that. Yes, sir. And so off he went. Well, the next day, same thing again, honking horn and all this confusion going on on the road. There was a man with a pig in the car again, and the highway patrolman saw it and pulled it over, and I, he said, I, I told you yesterday to take this pig to the zoo. He said, I did. We had so much fun. We're going to the museum today. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you had, think about it, Boyd Lee. It'll come to you. Just think about it. You had so much fun. Some of you came back. You know, you wanted to do it again. Uh, and for those of you who, who weren't here for the morning session, uh, we're in the book of Jeremiah, wonderful book of Jeremiah, rich, sweet, powerful book of Jeremiah. It, it, it is, to me, the book of Philippians of the Old Testament. If, if there was any book that I, I enjoy most preaching through, reading, it's the book of Philippians, Joy Bell of the Bible. And Jeremiah has come to have just a, a really a, a strong place in, in my life. And, uh, and I hope that as the notes are still down here, if there are still some more notes down here if anybody wants them. And as you read and study the book of Jeremiah, I hope it really takes, a, takes, takes hold of you as well because we learned so much about Jeremiah, his struggles, all that he experienced. And uh, we see so much of the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of God and, and there's so much in the book of Jeremiah and it's just wonderful. Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 1. And it came to pass the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month. Now, I want to say something. In, in the notes that I, that I have, I have a list of the kings of Judah. And I have the last five kings that, of Judah. 
And something that you're going to have, that you're going to find as you're studying the book of Jeremiah, as you really begin to dig into it, is that one of the confusions that we have is that many times the kings will have two names. And so you'll be reading along, and there'll be the name of a king, you'll say, who is that king? I don't remember. How many kings are there? Well, many of the kings have, they'll be known by two different names, and that causes some confusion sometimes. But here we are with uh, the, the time stamp again of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So we're in, the, we're in the southern kingdom, and we know it's the fifth month, and we are introduced to Hananiah. Hananiah was a false prophet. During the ministry of Jeremiah, one of the great struggles that he had was with was with false religion that was going on, and the evangelists of that false religion, the other, one of the other problems that he had was the, these evangelists, these false evangelists, these false preachers, these false prophets that were going around preaching things that were against the truth of God, that were not true at all. Hananiah is one of those, much like Amos. In the book of Amos, we have the, the conflict between Amos and the false uh, prophet there in Amos, and we have others as well. But here we have Hananiah. And verse, verse 1 continues, and he spoke to the house of, house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, now verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again, now this is Hananiah, bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. So Jeremiah has a yoke. This yoke of wood is representing the bondage, the, the captivity, the judgment of God against the sin of the house of Judah, Benjamin. And he's walking around with it. So Hananiah comes and says, oh no, it's not going to be that way. He says, within, they're, they're in the midst of the captivity. The, the, Nebuchadnezzar's already overrun the city. He's already taken away the, the, the best of the city already. And Hananiah is saying, hey, two years, don't worry about it. It's going to be all over with. And, and God's going to bring everything back, and it's all good. He's saying, peace, peace. God is going to protect the city of Jerusalem. That's what Hananiah is saying, and the false prophets are preaching. In verse 4, and I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon with the, saith the Lord, and I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So he's saying Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all these, and the, the things of the house of the Lord, all the stuff that's been taken away, in two years it's all coming back. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. He's, he's preaching a message of prosperity. He's preaching a message of peace to a people who are a sinful people. And, uh, and because of that, because of that, God's going to do something very drastic. So then in verse 5, then the, prophet, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of the priest, the, 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 the presence of the people, instead of the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, in verse 6, amen. <laughs> okay. That's what, um, amen, wonderful. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. Jeremiah says, I, I hope that that's true. Remember, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. 
he is preaching judgment. But he's preaching judgment against the people that he loves. He has that dilemma of preaching the judgment of God, but at the same time he has this love, this compassion for the people. And he says, I, I hope that that's true. I hope that what you're saying, and I hope it's all true, that in two years it's all going to be over, and everybody's going to be back home. I hope that that's true, he says. But verse 7, he says, nevertheless, and he says this to all the people, so they can all hear. Verse 8, the prophets that have been before me. Now he's going, there's a long line. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, he came to his own, his own received him not. And what had they done to all the prophets that came before Jesus? They had persecuted them. They had rejected the word of the Lord. They had done all those things. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he reminds them of that very thing, just as Jeremiah is reminding them here. He said, Before me and before thee of old prophesied, both against many countries and against great kingdoms and war and of evil and of pestilence. He says, the prophets that were before me, they, they preached the same message to the northern kingdom. You would think that in Judah, they would take a lesson from the northern kingdom when the Assyrians swept down and took all the northern kingdom into captivity, never to return because of the, the sin of Jeroboam and, and, and uh, their, the, the false worship that was going on in the northern kingdom. He says, those prophets have preached against all of that and it all came to pass. In verse 9, the prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. He says, you preach peace and peace comes. Well, then that's the word of the Lord. That's what God has said. We're going to accept it. We're going we're to shout and say hallelujah. But he says in verse, in, in, but if it's not true, the very opposite thing is going to happen. Verse 10, then Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke, the wooden yoke that was on Jeremiah. He takes it off, and, he, and he, he says to all the people, he says, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 11. He takes the yoke, and he breaks it. And he says, I'm going to break the yoke, the, the captivity. The yoke was a rep, represented the captivity. I'm going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two years, he says. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. He didn't say anything else to them. He just walked away. Well, he hadn't gotten far. <laughs> and we come to verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had, had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah saying, Go and tell Hananiah. When God says speak, we speak. And there are times when we just need to be silent. You know, don't cast your pearls before swine because they're just going to tread them underfoot. So Jeremiah walks away. God says to him, you go back to Hananiah now and you tell him. And here's what he says to him in verse 13. Thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yoke of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. Yokes of iron. It's like... The prophet said they have sown the wind and they are going to weep, reap the whirlwind. You sow a seed of sin and there's a bumper crop of consequences that come up from that one seed. Same with Israel. God says here, because of your rebellion, because of your abhorrent pride, because you are a stiff-necked people, 
this yoke which was wood is now going to be iron. It's going to be even more severe because of your rebellion. We don't have time to unpack all that's here in Jeremiah, but part of the message of Jeremiah was to the people, surrender. The king of Babylon, who is ransacking the city, and every time, every time they rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, the judgment was just more severe. And Jeremiah says to the king, surrender. This is God's judgment of for sin. Walk out of the city. Put your hands up. Walk out of the city and surrender. And everything will be okay. But if you continue to rebel against the judgment, the chastisement of God against your sin, the judgment of God against your sin, God is going to completely raise this city to the ground. The judgment will be so severe, there won't be anything in the city. <laughs> but what did the people do? They, they trusted in other nations. They trusted in their own wisdom. They trusted in everything. And they trusted in the false prophets. They, they trusted in the false prophets, like Hananiah. And so, and so verse 14, And thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the necks of all these nations, and they shall serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, and I have given him the beast of the field also. I, God says, I've given Nebuchadnezzar these things. God raises up kings. He sets down kings. He raises up nations, and he brings them to nothing. God is a sovereign God, and he's working here. In the, as we see here in, in uh, Judah, in, in the life of the prophet Isaiah, God is doing this. Nebuchadnezzar is God's deputy to judge the people of Israel, which is Judah, if you take it all as a whole. But they were rejecting it. It's just like if the sheriff, the deputy knocks on your door and says, this is the deputy, open the door. It's not the authority of the deputy that you should be afraid of. It's the power that stands behind that deputy because he had, he's under authority. Nebuchadnezzar was a deputy of, of the Lord God Almighty to judge the people. And instead of accepting it, they rejected it. By rejecting the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar, they had rejected the judgment of God and the message of God. That's what, <laughs> we don't have time to get into all of that, but that's what's happening. And so, verse 15, and we're going to get to the message. Look at verse 15. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not, the, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust a lie, to trust in something that is not true. Just like someone that would stand up and, said, and would say that I have a message from the Lord, but it's not according to the word of God. It's a lie, and many people trust in a lie. The same is happening here. They're trusting, what is the lie? There's going to be peace. God's going to protect the city. The judgment's not going to be long. God's not angry with sin. Everything's okay. When everything was not okay. And so... It says in verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, he says to Hananiah, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. And this rebellion against the Lord was a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked pagan king. You have rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and this rebellion is against the holy God the creator of all. And Hananiah, this year you're going to die for your rebellion. This year. 
And verse 17, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the 17th month. Hananiah died. If you died this year, this month, this week, this day, this hour, where would your soul be for all of eternity? If this was said of you, as we see again in verse 16, this year thou shalt die, what would happen to your eternal soul? What would happen to, to the part of you that, that is the spiritual part of you? Your body will be laid, into the, laid in the ground. But what will happen to you? What will happen to the part of you that lives on forever? If this year, if this year you were to die, what would happen to you? Very quickly, in the moments that we have left, I want to actually get to this morning's message. This year you shall die. Have you considered the brevity of life? The brevity of life. Job said, man, of, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The Lord make me to know mine end, the psalmist said, and to measure, and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. The, the brevity of this life. Think about those who have been with us in this work of this work of God here at First Baptist who have already stepped off the scene and have gone on to be with the Lord. We think of so many in this moment. Precious people. And all of us are moving toward that same event. If the Lord comes for us, we'll go to Him. But if, but if this body dies, then we're going to go to Him as well. And if this year you died, have you considered the, very, the brevity of life? Young people die just like old people. Healthy people die every day. We don't know what the morrow will bring because of the uncertainty of life. Have you considered the brevity of life? Have you considered the uncertainty of life? How uncertain life is. Many times we have the idea that we'll just live on, that things will just continue, that we'll go tomorrow, we'll do this, that, and the other thing. But life is very uncertain. James 4, 13, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. There's some of you here today that believe that you'll have a tomorrow and that your tomorrow will have a tomorrow. But that is not true. You don't have that promise. The uncertainty of life that's always around us. That's always around us. How many times have we heard of very strong, virile athletes who die on the playing field or on the basketball court? How many times have we heard the, 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 the shocking, staggering news of someone who's been killed in a car accident? All these things happen continuously. The uncertainty of life causes us to remember that, that it could be that this year, this year, we may die. And if this year you died... Where, what would be the eternal destiny of your soul? The, un, the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, the eternity of your soul. Have you considered that? We live so much for the moment, for the, for the temporal. Ecclesiastes says, or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the foundation, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Have you considered the eternity of your soul, the thing most precious to, in, in, in all the world is your eternal soul. But many of us are very flippant about spiritual things. 
We will pay any amount of money. If someone tells us we have cancer, it doesn't matter the cost. We will get the money for whatever treatment. But we give very little consideration to that which is most precious, our eternal living soul. Luke 12 is a parable of the man who forgot God. He had wealth. He had abundance. All of that. But he was a pauper spiritually. And God said of that man, Thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? It won't be long till other people will be living in your home. Other people will be spending your money. Other people will be enjoying the fruits of your labor. What if it was this year that you were to stand before God? This year you shall die. If that was said of you, what would be the destiny of your eternal living soul? Hearses don't have uh, hitches and corpses don't use checkbooks. Why? Because all that passes away once we step from this physical into the spiritual. Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, if this year thou shalt, if this year you died, what would be your eternal destiny? This year you shall die. Have you considered the necessity of salvation? You must be saved. You must be born again. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes says there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Sin means to, to do wrong, to be unjust, to be unrighteous. It means to turn aside, to transgress. The thought of foolishness is sin. The Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin. To know what is right and not to do it is sin. To have respect of persons is sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's falling short. It's not living up to the Ten Commandments. All have sinned. And you can't by your own effort change your sin nature. You are by nature a children of wrath even as others, the Bible says. And the wrath of a holy, righteous God is, is drawing nearer and nearer and nearer except you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must receive Christ. The salvation of your soul is the thing that is most urgent and most needed. And this morning I'm praying that God will awaken your heart, awaken your spirit to the, to the, to the depth of your depravity and sinfulness and that you'll run to the cross, that you'll run to the cross and receive Christ and the free pardon of sin. Because there is the futility of, of works for salvation. Christ is the only way. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ends thereof are the ways of death. And here this morning, you may be trusting in many things. In the book of Jeremiah, they were trusting in many things. They were, they were trusting in formalism. They were trusting in ritualism. They were trusting in many things. But they were not trusting in the Lord God Almighty. And because of that. Because of that, Jeremiah would say this, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Many of you have come to the end season of your life. You may be young, you may be middle-aged, you may be old, but many of us here are coming to the end season of our life, and you are not saved. You're a religious person, you're a good person, you're a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you are, you are that. But you're not born again of God's Spirit. You've never come to the cross to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. So it could be said of you that the harvest is past, that the summer is ended, and you are not saved. And how sad, how tragic to be here in this beautiful auditorium, to hear the gospel message preached Sunday after Sunday, to have opportunity after opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, and to walk through those doors and out into the world unsaved, unsaved, unsaved. How tragic a thing it is. 
But this morning, it doesn't need to be that way. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life everlasting. The devil wants you to continue on the smooth road, the easy road. He wants you to be, he wants you to be calm and relaxed. And in fact, this morning, he doesn't even want me to preach this message. He doesn't want me to disturb your conscience. He doesn't want, you, he doesn't want me to disturb your spirit. He wants you to continue in your, in, in your, in your sleep and your slumber of death and continue on happily toward everlasting destruction. But I am here to say, wake up, wake up, wake up. This year thou shalt die. What, will, what would be the eternal destiny of your soul? There is a... There is an illustration that is given of this. Because many times people have the idea, well, I'm not, I'm not as bad as other people. Or, My sin is not so great, or I'm a pretty good person. But imagine if we had two pebbles. These two pebbles represented sin, a, a person, a sinner. One pebble is, very, uh, is a rock. The other is just a tiny little pebble. If we took those two rocks and we threw them into a lake, we threw the big rock as far as we could, and it landed with a plop, it would make a big splash, wouldn't it? Lots of ripples and really make a, a big fuss. If we took the other pebble and we threw it into the pond as well, hardly anything. It would be very small. It would be nothing, wouldn't it? Just a little plop, a few little ripples. But where would the two rocks be? Both of the rocks would be at the very bottom of the lake. It doesn't matter. There's no one here. That is so bad that you can't be saved. There's no one here so good that you don't need to be saved. A child of 12 or a hardened, crusty sinner of, of 50 years old both need the grace of God equally. And the grace of God is sufficient. I'm not talking about becoming a Baptist or becoming a... <laughs> I'm not talking about any kind of religious activity. I'm talking about... Your encounter with the living God as the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now. You don't know what the destiny of your eternal soul would be. You don't know what would happen to you. You hope that you would go to heaven. You believe that you would go to heaven. And you've trusted a lie, perhaps. Maybe you've trusted an experience that you had. You've trusted in some prayer that you prayed. You've trusted in some card that you signed. You've trusted in a baptism. Some other church activity that you've done. And you have staked your claim. You have staked your trust in a lie. There's only one Source of salvation is only one way to have the free pardon of sin. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary for you. It's through faith in his blood. Believing that he has been raised again. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved, the Bible says. Because with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is no other way. The Bible says in John 3, 16, how sweet a promise, how sweet a verse that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is God's promise of salvation to you. And many of you know that verse. And there will be multitudes who know that verse and who will go into the deepest, darkest parts of hell having heard and memorized that sweet verse. There's a difference between knowing the verse and knowing the truth of that verse. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. It was in 1998 when I was pastor at Sherman Baptist Church that I preached this very message. Probably not exactly, but something like this message. And we gave an invitation, much as we're going to give in just a moment. And during that invitation, everyone stood and 
I went down front, and we were praying and singing and waiting for as God was moving in hearts. And from the back, a man stepped out and came forward, and he had his hands in front of his face like this. His name was Kylan Bates. And I had the, I had the his, his dear wife is with the Lord now, but she told me, she said, you, you share this illustration anywhere you would like to. But he stepped out with his hands in front of his face. And he was walking and he was mumbling. Uh, uh, uh. And his son was in rebellion. His son was in, his son was in rebellion against the Lord in the world, living in the world. And he was very troubled by that. I knew he was. And I thought that he was coming to ask for prayer for his son, who by all accounts was lost. The thoughts of a loved one in hell. If that doesn't trouble you, you can't be troubled. And as he got closer, I could hear him talking. I could hear him mumbling through his hands. He was saying, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost. He had been a part of that church for years and years and years. Participated in all sorts of things. Kylan Bates. I knew him well. But that morning, he was awakened in his spirit. And he became aware of his need of salvation. Some of you are standing at the very door of heaven. One of the saddest pictures in all the Bible is of Judas, the man who kissed the door of heaven but went to hell. Here was Judas in the garden. Jesus said, I am the door by by me. If any man enter, he shall be saved and go in out and find pasture. And Judas came right up to the door of heaven, the entranceway into the blessings of God, the salvation of God, the pardon of sin, and kissed the door of heaven but then walked away. There may just be someone this morning. You're almost a Christian. You're almost convinced. You're almost, you're almost a believer. But in your heart of hearts, you know you've never trusted Christ. You've never trusted Christ. You've trusted in other things. This is your morning. This is the day of decision. And I've been praying. I've been asking God to move with great power in the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't reveal this to you. <laughs> you know, Peter, after that great confession, thou art, the, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my spirit, my spirit. Won't you come to Christ today? Don't, don't walk away. Admit it. Just say, I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost. Oh, I'm lost, and I need a Savior. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. This very moment, wouldn't you receive him and know this free pardon of sin? No more acting, no more, no more playing, no more games. Just say yes to him and you come forward and you let this church know what God has done in your heart today. Just come telling the church, God has saved me. I'm born again and I want to tell the world. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment we're praying. We're praying for ourselves. Father, if we need to make our call and election sure. As Hananiah was said to the false prophet Hananiah, this, this year thou shalt die. Father, with Kylan Bates, one year to the day, we stood by his graveside, and indeed that year he died. Father, there are others here today. This is the day of salvation. This is the appointed time, Father. And I just pray for a great, a great movement of your Holy Spirit. Save that soul that's near as hell. Father, if there's one that's become backslidden and indifferent, oh, Father, I pray that today would be a day of, of revival within their spirits. Father, I pray that for those that have become backslidden and indifferent. Other decisions, Father, you just move with great power. 
And we're trusting you. We know your word will not return to you void, oh, Father. Thank you for Jesus who died and was raised again. And, Father, this time we give into his hands for his honor, for his glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.